Welcome back, my friends, to the Nature Wander podcast. I'm Paul, your host, and happy Groundhog's Day. Did he see his shadow? Did he not see his shadow? I have no clue because this was recorded the night before. Yes, but today is Groundhog's Day when everyone gets excited because they can tell whether or not we're going to have six more weeks of winter or a long winter. Maybe it hasn't even begun to stop being winter. Is it true? Can the groundhog predict weather? How is this furry little rodent going to tell us whether or not winter is over? Well, we'll get to that. How did this whole thing happen? How on earth did we decide that we were going to have some furry rodent out there looking for his shadow, telling us, hey, if I see my shadow, there's going to be six more weeks of winter. But if I don't see my shadow, it's going to be an early spring. How can he tell? How do we come about with this weird concoction that a wild animal can tell how long winter's going to be? Well, it actually started a long time ago, but the most famous groundhog right now who everyone was probably watching and waiting this morning to see what he would say, is Punxsutawney Phil. Yeah, Punxsutawney Phil is actually in Pennsylvania. There's an entire town around him that just gets their economy, their fun. Their, it, this is a one-day-a-year town, in my opinion. They just have a blast on this one day of the year. Now, I do want to let you know that Punxsutawney Phil is just his nickname. A lot of people don't know this, but his full name is Punxsutawney Phil, seer of seers, sage of sages, prognosticator of prognosticators, and weather prophet extraordinaire. If I had to say that name every time I was introduced to him, yeah, I'd get a nickname like Punxsutawney Phil, or just Phil. So this guy here lives down in Pennsylvania, and every year on February 2nd, Groundhog Day, that's when he comes out of his den, and whether he sees a shadow or not will tell us how long winter is going to be. Now, there are a lot of other groundhogs around. Yeah, there's actually at least 33 or more. I mean, there's Middletown Mel in New Jersey. There's Essex Ed, also in New Jersey. Can't forget Chattanooga Chuck in Tennessee. French Creek Freddy in West Virginia. And, of course, New York has their own Staten Island Chuck. And Dunkirk Dave is my local groundhog. He doesn't live too far from me, and that's who I listen to. There's Jimmy the Groundhog in West Virginia. And Buckeye Chuck from, you guessed it, Ohio. And I wonder where Potomac Phil is. Yeah, he's in D.C. Washington, D.C. even has their own. He must be the national one. Now, D.C., our Potomac Phil, he's not alive anymore. He's actually taxidermied. Yeah, there is a movement now from some of the 
animal rights groups to get rid of this custom of having a live groundhog. They've actually been pushing to get electronic groundhogs for Groundhog Day. Punxsutawney Phil has been doing this for, well, let's see. It's been about 123 years. Yeah, it started a long time ago that Punxsutawney Phil started predicting the weather. Wait a minute. 123 years? Now, according to what my research has shown, the lifespan of a groundhog in the wild is anywhere from 3 to 8 years. The maximum in captivity has been 14. Years. The oldest groundhog raised in captivity only lived 14 years. Now, let me do the math here. 123 years divided by 14. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say he reached the max. That comes out to just about eight. Eight groundhogs. Or if we want to be a little more conservative, okay, 123 divided by, okay, average about three years on average for a groundhog in the wild, that comes to 41. So how on earth could Punxsutawney Phil still be alive after 123 years? Well, according to the website, if you go to the actual official website for Punxsutawney Phil... It does say that there's only one. They haven't replaced them. The secret is, shh, don't tell anyone, the elixir of life. I'll bet there's a lot of people trying to get that elixir of life. Maybe they found the fountain of youth, but according to the website, they give Phil the elixir of life every single year, and it just keeps extending his life, so he is 123-plus years old. I'm not so sure about that. I'd really like to get the recipe for that. So where did this come from? Did it originate in Pennsylvania? No, they just capitalized on it. The actual tradition of Groundhog Day wasn't Groundhog Day. It was what we call Candlemas Day, the Christian Festival of Lights. It's a German holiday that happened, well, hundreds of years ago is when it began. And I'll, I'll just break it down real brief. I don't want to get into too much detail, but they would bless the candles. They would have a Christian mass to bless the candles, and people would take the candles home with them and light them in their houses. It, it brought good luck. Now, somewhere it got connected, that candle mass, because it was between the winter solstice and the shortest day of the year, and it was they had a special day for it. Somewhere along the lines, they decided that they would be able to figure out if it's cloudy on Candlemas Day, okay, wet, stormy Candlemas Day, they could tell that the worst of winter is over. And if it's going to be fine and bright, no clouds in the sky, plenty of sunshine on Candlemas Day, there was more winter to come. Not sure where they came up with this, but that's what they believed. Somehow, along the way, a rodent, a critter, 
got involved in all this, and that was the badger. So the badger was the original predictor of the weather. And it all started with Candlemas Day. Now, when the immigrants came to the United States, the German immigrants came here. They brought this Candlemas tradition, this Candlemas celebration with them to the U.S. And the whole idea of blessing the candles, lighting the candles on February 2nd. And they also brought the whole idea of predicting the weather. So once again, cloudy, rainy, stormy, the worse the winter's over. Sunny, beautiful day, there's still a lot more winter to come. And the shadow thing got in there too. And of course, the badger, oh, wait a minute, we're in the U.S. Badgers, they're hard to find in the U.S. So they took the next best thing. The groundhog. Yeah, the groundhog was coming up about the same time of year. That's when he would come out of his den. He must be trying to see his shadow, trying to predict the length of the winter. So that's where all this chaos started. It was Candlemas Day. Hundreds of years ago, brought over, the tradition was brought over here to the U.S. Kind of crazy, isn't it? So who is this superhero rodent that has the superhero powers of foreseeing the future? Maybe he has a crystal ball down in his den when he's wintering away the winter. Uh, maybe he's got tarot cards and does readings. Or maybe he's just psychic and he can foresee the future. Or maybe there is something to the shadow thing. But why is he waking up? Well, if you listened to my episode last week about hibernation, you know a little bit about why he's waking up early. But who is this rodent, this, this groundhog, this superhero? Okay, these groundhogs, they live in the eastern and central U.S., all the way up to Alaska and Canada, they have a territory of about, you're probably thinking hundreds of miles. No, it's only about two to three acres of territory for a groundhog. Now, they are also sometimes called a whistle pig. Yeah, when they're looking for a potential mate or if there's danger around, they make a whistling noise. So it's almost like they're whistling at the females as they go by kind of like at the construction site when the beautiful woman goes by and the construction workers are whistling at her. Well, we call these guys whistle pigs. The guys who are whistling at the pretty girl walking by the construction site, we just call them pigs. Uh, the land beaver is another name because they look like a beaver, but most famously is the woodchuck. The reason they got the name Woodchuck is because some guy saw him sitting around chucking wood around every once in a No, that's not it. It has nothing to do with wood. It actually came from the name Woochuck, which is the Algonquin name for the groundhog. So the Algonquin Indians would call them Woochuck, and that transformed into Woodchuck. How much wood... Would a woodchuck chuck if a woodchuck could chuck wood? Can a woodchuck chuck wood? No. That's why in the tongue twister, they say if a woodchuck could chuck wood. You know, there is some guy who actually figured it out. Yeah, he was some sort of 
bored person who mathematician probably or maybe a nature lover he sat down and thought about it and said well we're studying woodchucks and they can actually toss or chuck about 700 pounds of dirt in a day if you transfer that over to wood you could say that a woodchuck could chuck 700 pounds of wood that's a lot of wood. Okay, so our friend the woodchuck, scientific name Marmota monax, is in the order Rodentia, or the rodents. He's also closely related to the squirrel. Yeah, they're in the squirrel family. They are also one of many of the marmots. If you've ever been out west, you will see marmots on a lot of the lands out there. Woodchucks, like I said, mostly eastern, central U.S., up into Canada and up to Alaska. They are an herbivore. They are a plant eater, in other words, vegetarian. They're not out there eating mice. They're not out there chasing fox. Matter of fact, fox, coyote, they're the ones eating the woodchucks. Birds of prey, other larger animals. It's hard for the woodchuck to get away from these other animals. And the reason is, I mean, this is a big, bulky animal. He weighs about mm, 13 pounds on average for an adult woodchuck. The younger one's obviously a little bit lighter. When he first comes out of his den in the spring, he's going to be lighter also. As he's going into his den in the fall, he's probably a little bit heavier. But on average, an adult woodchuck. 13 pounds. They have very short legs. They can only run at about eight miles an hour. So not very quick. That fox, that coyote, they're a lot quicker. So their den that they build is not just for sleeping away the winter. The den is also for getting away from danger. Short legs. So he's only one of 14 species of marmots. And like I said, they're in the squirrel family, but this bulkiness allows them to handle cold weather better than squirrels do. So when you get into colder climates, like up in Alaska, the squirrels, they're not in certain areas. The woodchucks will be. They are, like I said, strict herbivores. Just eating plants, that's why you see them around your lawn. They mostly hang around like edge of forests, open fields, which is why a lot of farmers don't like them. Yeah, the farmers, they don't like the woodchucks because they're always in their fields, digging these tunnels underneath their fields, making these holes. The farmers will step in it. Maybe the tractor, some farm equipment might fall into this ditch, this hole, and break a wheel, an axle. Also, the cows, the horses that are out in the field, they could break a leg stepping into one of these holes. So that's why a lot of farmers don't like them. And of course, some gardeners don't either. They put the fences around their gardens Hey, you're giving them a feast. The deer, all these other animals, woodchuck, they like that fresh lettuce that you're growing. They like all the vegetables you're growing in your garden. So if you really want to keep them away from the wildlife, put a fence around it. 
So they are considered a pest by many, but they are actually a really neat animal. They are a loner. The only time you see woodchucks together is when they are mating in the spring and when they're raising their young. Yeah, mating usually happens around March. They're out scouting for a female in their territory in usually early February. The females will have about six kits on average. And I call them kits, but they can be called either kits. Sometimes people call them pups. And I always get a kick out of this one. They call them chucklings, too. Yeah, those are the three names that you can use for a baby woodchuck. They'll stay with their mother for about two months. Once they're two months, they're pretty self-sufficient and they go off on their own so that they can start rummaging through all the grasses and all the plants. Yeah, they are self-sufficient. They go find their own place to live, though. So a territory. Usually the males are the ones who have this smaller territory, three to four acres, and they will guard that territory. If another male comes in, they could get their females. So they will chase them off. So you may see woodchucks fighting every once in a while. And that's when a male, usually a younger one, looking for his own territory, wanders in. And he will fight off the, sorry, the older one who owns the territory will fight off that younger one who's moving in. So that's about the only time you will see them together. They are loners. Now, when, if they are fighting and when they're chewing on the plants, they do have very sharp teeth. They have sharp teeth on the top and bottom. These teeth can grow at about one-sixteenth of an inch per week. Yeah, I didn't say a year or a month per week. A sixteenth of an inch. So every 16 weeks, every three months, they've grown an inch. It's like, why aren't they growing through the skull or through the jaw and harming the animal? Well, because of all the chewing that they do, they wear their teeth down. And that's why they continue to grow, because they are constantly being worn down. And if they get too worn down, they'll disappear and the poor animal won't be able to eat. So that's why they are constantly growing. I actually had a rehab friend back when I did wildlife rehabilitation. I had a rehab friend who specialized in groundhogs. I hated taking care of groundhogs. They they were biters. They were tough to take care of. But this lady enjoyed it. So I, you know, always took any calls that I got on injured groundhogs to her. But she was telling me the one time how she had a groundhog that got hit by a car crossing the road. And like I said, they're pretty slow, hard to get out of the way. He got hit by a car, broke his jaw, threw his jaw out of alignment. The vet couldn't fix it. So the jaw would always be out of alignment. Now, because of that and the teeth constantly growing, they would have grown to the point if they set the poor critter loose to the wild, they would have grown to the point where it wouldn't have been able to open its mouth. Eventually, it would have starved to death. So this lady, this rehabilitator, don't 
try to take care of wild animals unless you're a licensed wildlife rehabilitator. Uh, she was licensed, and when she had this animal and she knew it couldn't be released to the wild, she decided she was going to keep it as an educational animal. And she would have to file down its teeth every month just so that the teeth didn't grow too long and it could continue to eat. Very healthy animal, it's just the jaw was out of alignment. And because the teeth are constantly growing, it would have been a dead, starved animal if she had to let it go to the wild. So just, sorry, just a side note there. Um, so this groundhog, here he is, interesting animal out there just minding his own business, a hibernator, of course. Yeah, they do go into the ground because there's, it's really difficult to find food around here in the winter time where the snow gets deep, the grass is hard to find under the snow, they have short legs, they can't dig through the snow. So they are what we consider a true hibernator. Listen to last week's episode, talks all about hibernation. Now, when this guy goes into hibernation, he lowers his body temperature. Basically, he's, he's changing his, his body metabolism so that he can survive the winter. With this low metabolism, he only uses about a quarter of his body weight to survive. And this is without eating. He doesn't eat for probably six months. Yeah, they will. They are one of the longest hibernators. They will go approximately six months. They lose about a quarter of their body weight. You would think they'd lose a lot more in six months, but they have such a low metabolism when they're in this hibernation state. Normal heart rate is 80 beats per minute. That drops down to about five beats per minute. Normal respiration, your breathing for a groundhog is about 16 breaths per minute. That lowers down to about two breaths per minute. The temperature, body temperature, normally about 99 degrees, lowers down to about 37 degrees. So this guy is a true hibernator. He goes down to his den and he just falls asleep, goes into this kind of a state of a coma for the entire winter. Now his den, his den is quite a network. He will dig this den down into the ground. He's got great claws to do it. And it can be up to about... Well, anywhere from 8 to 66 feet long. And it has several chambers in it, too. Some chambers are for food storage during the summer months, not the winter. He doesn't eat during the winter, but he does have food stores. He has a bathroom down there. He also has a place to sleep. So he does have several chambers inside. Now, when he goes into this hibernation, remember, he's lowering his metabolism. So he closes up the entranceways. He doesn't want anyone disturbing him during the winter. And those tunnels going down to the chamber that are now blocked off, those are often used by other animals to hibernate during the winter. 
uh, for instance, snakes. Snakes will gather together and they go into their hibernaculum in one of these tunnels. So how does this superhero, groundhog, woodchuck, whistle pig, uh, land beaver, whatever you want to call them, how does our superhero, revered by millions every spring, predict the weather? Well, he probably has a computer down in his den. Well, no, that's not it. He actually does know when spring is. His biological clock tells him, hey, the weather's getting warmer. Time to wake up. He comes out of his den, usually around early February. He'll come out of his den. He wanders his territory, that small acreage of territory that's his. Okay, it's not just his, but he's the only male allowed in that territory. There's usually a few, maybe several, female dens also in that territory. They don't share dens. Everyone has their own. But the females will have some dens in his territory. He doesn't mind that. He just doesn't want the other males around. And he gets up out of bed, comes out of his den, wanders around, makes sure that no other males have woken up early and stolen any of his females, and he checks them all out, and then he goes back to sleep until March, mating season. Now, wait a minute. He wakes up early February. I thought that's when he was predicting the weather. No, he's not waking up to predict how long the winter is going to be. He's waking up to check on his mates, to check on the females. That's all he's doing, but we've twisted that around to think that he can predict the weather. Now, according to Punxsutawney Phil's website, his caregivers, they say that he is 100% accurate in his prognosticating of the weather. Is he well, according to the website, he is, so I guess you got to believe everything you read on the internet, right? No. They have done some studies. Storm facts kept track since 1887. Punxsutawney Phil has seen his shadow 104 times. He has not seen it 19 times. Now, the Storm Facts Almanac took that data. They put it up against the actual weather data, the winter length data, and they decided, they figured it out mathematically that, can you guess how accurate he was? Uh, maybe a little lower if you said 90%. He was actually only 39% accurate. They did a little research on some of the other uh, groundhog predictors, and they found that he's actually pretty good compared to the average of all of them. So the average of all groundhog weather predictors is only about 37% accurate. The most accurate was about 47%. You might as well just flip a coin. You have a better chance of being right. You have a 50-50% chance. Another study that was done to see how accurate Punxsutawney Phil was, was done by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. So you don't, if, if you're one of those who doesn't think, oh, Storm Facts Almanac, who are they? They don't know what they're talking about. The website says 100%. It's got to be 100%. No. Uh, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, 
they actually took the data from 2008 to 2018. So they studied him for 10 years. And they found during that time, Punxsutawney Phil was 40% accurate. Kind of matches what Stormfax Almanac came up with, 39%. So can this guy predict the weather? No, no. You, you might as well go with the woolly bear caterpillar. Oh, do you believe that? Yeah, another weather predictor. The woolly bear caterpillar, the caterpillar of the Isabella tiger moth, the larger the band of black, the harder the winter. At least that's what you are supposed to believe. So the band, and you can actually count the rows of hairs on the back of the woolly bear caterpillar. And the more black hair rows, the harder the winter. Well, they've done studies about that too to see how accurate they were. And it depends on the year. 40 to 80%. So they're actually more accurate than the groundhog. But it is fun to do. Honestly, I actually think I would go down to Punxsutawney and enjoy the festivities and have some fun seeing Punxsutawney Phil. He's a celebrity, even if he is a hundred and some years old. So I hope you enjoyed learning about how to predict the weather, and some interesting information about groundhogs. They're fascinating creatures, but don't depend on them to decide how long winter's going to be. Looks like we're done with our episode today. If you enjoyed wandering through nature with me, help me out by subscribing to the podcast. Hey, tell your friends about it. This is a great way to get more people wandering through nature with us. And if you have any nature questions or ideas for future episodes, I'm always listening. Feel free to drop me a DM on my Instagram page at The Nature Wanderer. There's an underscore in between each of the three words. Or at my website at naturewanderer.org. You can also support the podcast by joining my Patreon, which will also give you extras, including videos, pictures, and much more. There's some courses on there, free to Patreons. And another way to support the Nature Wanderer podcast, help me to spread the word more, help me to educate, come up with more programs, get out in schools. If you want to help support that even more, another way to do it is through merchandise. Yeah, You can actually show everyone how much you love the podcast. You can show everyone how much you love nature. My store can be reached through naturewanderer.org, and we have some great t-shirts, other clothing items, bottles on there. We have a lot of merchandise that you can purchase. Have a great week and keep exploring the nature around you. Thank you.